Hey, good morning. If you have your Bible, if you will open it up or turn it on, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. Luke chapter 15. Good week, folks. Everybody have a good week? Yeah, well, you're here, so it's the beginning of a new week, so even if it's a bad week, it's good now. I uh, just want to say one thing. I'm very, very proud of our church uh, and your response last week with our Carter Blood Drive. Uh, we had the, the van was full the entire time of people donating uh, blood to help those that are in need. And I'm, I'm just proud of our congregation, the way that you responded. I was talking to the people there in the truck, and one of the things they told me is that sometimes when they go to a church, they might stand around a little bit, and there's not that many people giving. And they said, but hey, we've been hopping the whole time. You guys did well. And so I wanted to convey that compliment to the congregation because it's you guys that responded. And I want us as a church to continue to be very intentional about turning our focus outward so that we care about people in our community, we care about others, we don't isolate ourselves and form a holy huddle, but we're trying to reach out with the love of Christ to those around us. So Luke 15 contains what is probably Jesus' most famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son. We began this parable last week, and we're going to look at the second half today. It's a parable about family. There's a father and two sons. We're not told what happened to the mother, but each man in the parable is at one of those crisis points in life. The youngest son, who is usually called the prodigal, was facing a crisis of identity. It's often faced whenever you are in those young adult years, perhaps the latter part of adolescence. It's the crisis of, who am I? What is my identity going to be? What do I want to do with my life? How do I want to invest my time? How do I want others to see me? And how do I want to treat others? That crisis of identity, who am I? The older brother, who we're going to look at today, he, uh, he was a good boy, but he too was facing a crisis. He was facing the life is unfair crisis. This often happens to people somewhere at about the middle point of the journey, maybe between ages 30 and 50. You look around and you say to yourself, how did this happen? And life's unfair because this guy over there has this and this person has this and then I don't have this. And then you start saying, you know, my clothes it's like they're shrinking, and I can't figure out what's happening to my body and to my health, and so you start having this life is unfair type crisis. And then in the parable, we also have the father, and the father was at the point of the legacy crisis. Who truly loves me? Who are my loved ones? What will my legacy be after I pass? Am I secure? What comes next? And the parable of the prodigal son, it's a story about forgiveness, it's about hope, it's about family, enduring love, and I think it's also a parable about the challenges of living in family. How many of you guys have a family? Anybody have any challenges in those families? Yeah, of course we do. And this parable speaks directly to that. So last Sunday we journeyed with the prodigal son. The young man had a lot going for him. He had a good family. There were a lot of strengths about the prodigal son. 
he was an individual of ambition. He dreamed about what the future could be like. He was bold. He didn't just sit around and wait for things to come to him. He was willing to go in and ask. He was willing to try new things in a world where most people never left home. He was willing to leave home and go out and venture on his own. He might have even had a gift of faith to trust in the unknown. Yet sadly, the prodigal son had at this point in his life some vital character flaws that nearly destroyed his life. And there's a, there's a lesson to be learned there. You can have a lot of ability, you can have a lot of strengths going for you. But if you don't have character, the foundation is flawed. And it's not long before things will come crushing, crashing down. So the prodigal son was entitled. He thought the father owed him an estate. He went into him and said, give me what is mine. And then he was also undisciplined. The scriptures say that he squandered his estate on foolish living. He didn't have the discipline to spend his money well and to make good choices. But thirdly, he was running from God. He was running from God, and he was running away from the people that loved him, and he was running with the wrong crowd. And so we're familiar with the story. His life comes spiraling out of control, and at the end of the parable, he hits rock bottom, sitting in a pig pen. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. So the idea of taking a job feeding the pigs was absolutely repulsive to his audience. But then there's this wonderful moment in verse 17. When he came to his senses, the clouds parted, he came to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. So he says, I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. And so he got up and he went to his father. It's pumpkin patch season here at Murphy Church. I think this is about year 18 of us doing the pumpkin patch. Uh, it's really become a community tradition. People all around the community, they feel like summer has ended and fall has arrived when the pumpkins come out at Murphy Church. And one of the things that I really enjoy about this time of year is just watching the families come on campus. Uh, last year we had 5,000 people come through the pumpkin patch. And you'll see those Families with preschoolers come out and they'll take pictures and a lot of times we have babies. It's the first time they've ever seen the light of day and it's like, oh, you know, somebody is it somebody. Anyway, oh, and, and, and some of the families were telling me that year after year they've come to the pumpkin patch. In fact, I found some pictures of my family over the years uh, down here in the bottom right. This is right after we came to Murphy Road and uh, about a year or so after we came to Murphy Road, McKenna's a baby and there we are. Then over here, this was about five years ago, Camden, the, Camden and Bennett were now with us, and so uh, we took that picture. And then up here, that was last year. It's rare that you get all six of us together, but all six of us were there. And it's fun watching these families come through the patch. Uh, the little guys come through, and after they get a pumpkin, they often like to paint it. When they get a little older, I always like to ask, what are you going to do with these pumpkins? And the older kids are like, we're going to carve it. Take the Ginzu knives out and just... Edward Scissorhands it. 
And uh, this year, there's been a new thing. Uh, some of the teenagers have been coming out. They've been buying these huge pumpkins. I'm like, what are you going to do with that like $25 pumpkin? It's huge. And they're, they're telling me, I'm going to clean it out, and I'm going to put it on my head. <laughs> I'm like, well, what are you going to do after that? Say, take pictures. <laughs> Good plan, man. But it's fun to watch them grow up a little bit. Uh, it's also hard, and parents, you guys can testify to this, it's hard to watch your kids grow up. Any parents want to say amen to that? I mean, it's kind of fun to watch them leave. But I'm, 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 you know. It's hard to watch them grow up, though. And every child is a little bit different. Some, you know, when they get to that age, 18, wherever it might be, and they're ready to go, I mean, they're ready to go. They're out of there. They're living life. They're kind of like the prodigal son. Let's, let, me, let me take whatever I, whatever I have, and let's go, and let's experience life. And as you watch them go, you're kind of like, ah, oh, there's going to be a few mistakes along the way. One of the things you also know is that your love for them will remain and help them through the journey. Other children, I mean, they don't really cause you any problems. You sometimes forget that they're there. But they're still going into your refrigerator getting fudge pops with their Star Wars jammies on at age 30. And you're kind of like, hey, you know, maybe you ought to just kind of go out and face the world a little bit. One of the saddest things in life is when a father or a mother is dealing with a child who has gone astray, has made some huge mistakes, and this little child that you've raised and watched grow up is in pain, you can't take it away, you can't rescue them, you realize that they just have to go through that valley, and you love them and you care about them, but you have to watch them hurt. And in my mind, I can picture the father every day after dinner. He gets the dishes put up, and then he goes out on the porch of his home, and he just takes a moment to look at the sunset and pray for his son. And his heart still aches, and he longs to see his son come home. And then one evening, he looks out, and on the horizon... <laughs> He sees a familiar walk. He kind of looks again. He's like, I think that that might be him. And suddenly his heart begins to just beat a little bit faster, and he's so excited. And we pick up the story in verse 20, where it says, While the son was a long way off, the father saw him. And then notice this next word. You might even need to underline it in your Bible. And was filled with compassion. He saw him, and his heart began to fill with compassion, and he ran. Mature men in this culture did not run. It was considered immature to run. Some of y'all can save that for later. If anybody ever tries to get you to run, say, that's immature. I'm a mature person now. But he ran, and he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And at this point, the father has a decision to make. Put yourself in his sandals. How are you going to react? He could scold him. I told you so. I told you this would happen. He could send him away. 
hey, look, you don't belong here anymore. This isn't your home anymore. You chose your path or he could embrace him. So in verse 22, the father tells his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Why? Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. So the father had a choice to make. How am I going to respond? And when he sees his son, he goes out to meet him, and the first thing that he hears from his son is his son's repentance. Father, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven. The son had had a genuine turning of spirit. He was no longer entitled. He was no longer selfish. Instead, he was humble before the father. And so the father's reaction is to immediately forgive and restore. Any Batman fans in the crowd today? Any Batman fans? I'll do my Batman imitation for you if you want me. You want to hear it? Okay. You sure? Someone says no. No. Oh, it's Cummings over there saying no, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you got to watch Amy. Yeah. All right, here we go. Her mom's here, so she's got to be good today. So here we go. I'm Batman. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. My favorite Batman, though, is, is Batman Lego. He's just, like, hilarious. Yeah, anyway. So the most famous villain on Batman is who? The Joker. And one of the main reasons a lot of us is, are scared of clowns <laughs> is because of the Joker. Anybody scared of clowns? They creep me out, yeah. So, so the Joker actually has a symbolic meaning. That's one of the reasons why he's such a powerful character. He represents a rejected person who hides behind his makeup, and the funny man has become the evil man. The rejected, hurt man now desires to hurt others. Well, the father in this parable of the prodigal son has a symbolic meaning. Now, he's not the joker. He's actually the heavenly father. And in the story... The Father symbolizes how God responds to us when we turn from our sins and return to Him. One of the primary ways, reasons Jesus told the story is because He wanted you to know that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how long it has been, how far into the darkness you have crept, you can go home. And when we quit trying to be God, when we turn from our sin and our rebellion, and we return to the Father, and with a genuine heart we ask for forgiveness, the Heavenly Father runs to meet us, opens His arms, hugs us, kisses us in forgiveness, and He celebrates your return. Now, sin always carries with it consequences. One of the reasons why God says don't do these things is because when we go down those paths of sin, it causes relational scars. 
It causes scars within our own psyche and our own health. There are always scars of rebellion. And when we return, some relationships may never be quite the same. Some plans may have to change. But the goodness of our Father's grace runs to meet us. (laughs) And He celebrates our return and welcomes us home. Not as His slave, but as His child. A party happens because the lost sheep has been found. Now there's a funny thing about grace. Not everyone celebrates its arrival. Not everybody likes grace. Some people get offended by grace. Look at verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, my legalistic friends are already offended right here. Music and dancing? What's going on here? Not not that kind of dancing. They were having a party. And so he summoned one of his servants and asked what these things mean. Hey, come over here. Why is there a disco ball up at the house right now? Why am I hearing Cotton Eye Joe play? Why does it smell like barbecue? You know, what's happening? And in verse 27, the servant says, your brother is here. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, the older brother, I imagine, had always been the good kid. Anybody in the room the good kid? In a lot of ways, the older brother was the opposite of the younger brother. He was a loyalist. He stayed. He stayed with his father. And he continued to work in the fields. And if you remember early in the story, both boys got their inheritance. He received his inheritance, yet he stayed. He was hardworking. In verse 29, we see that he tells his father, I've been slaving for many years. I imagine every morning he got up early. He spent long days out in the fields He managed the various employees. He kept the farm running. And he also had character. He had a sense of right and wrong. In verse 29, he tells the father, I did what you told me to do. I obeyed. In verse 30, he is appalled at the sinful behavior of his younger brother. The older brother is everything you could ask for in a son. And now he was caught up in the trap of self-righteousness. And the emotions of entitlement began to swell up within him. Anger began to come out of him. He was probably one of those individuals that had suppressed a lot of anger in his life. And now it was coming out. And he was acting out in immaturity. Verse 28 says, then he became angry. He says, I I don't want to go in. So inside the party, music's going on, the calf is is being cooked, everything's going, everything's happening well. 
And someone comes to the Father and says, uh, we got a problem. What's the problem? Your older son's outside. Uh, he's throwing a fit. Can you go out and talk to him? So the Father comes out in verse 28 and pleads with him, Son, don't be throwing this fit. You're acting in a bad way. Oh, did the Hulk one come up? Yeah, yeah. I throw those in just to keep you with me, okay? You know, I mean, I understand. I've sat through some sermons before. Um, so he replies to the Father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me so much as a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... <laughs> when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. He's the good kid. Dad, I went to VBS. I went to church camp. I married Mary Ann instead of Ginger. I went to Michael W. Smith instead of Metallica. I bought a Honda, not a Harley. This isn't fair. You give him the fatted calf and a ring, and I don't even get so much as a young goat. Unfair, unfair, unfair. Yellow flag, 15 yards, illegal celebration. This is done. The older brother had lost sight of his own need for grace. And he had become judgmental and legalistic. The younger brother was envious of other people's life, lives. The older brother was envious of grace. You see this happen sometimes in church. You'll see younger brothers drift who are envious of other people's lives. And then sometimes within the church, you see older brothers who throw fits because they're envious of God's grace and ability to restore and forgive. So in verse 31, the good father, the good father begins to calm him down. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. We had to celebrate and rejoice because the brother, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Have you reached the point that when people have new beginnings, when they turn from where they were to where God wants them to be, that you rejoice, that you celebrate, that you're excited whenever you see people growing and lives changing, where you reject the idea of, it must be nice, the cynicism and the envy, and instead you embrace people. The Father reminds him of a couple of things. Number one, you are always with me. Hey, son, you've been a good son. 
And you don't carry with you some of the scars of regret that your younger brother now has. Son, there are things that he's going to have to deal with the rest of his life. He's home. He's safe. We celebrate. But there are things that he has done and seen that will change him. And he's going to have to carry that with him for the rest of his years. But you have been with me always, and now we need to be here for him to help him. Because he's going to need our family to help him put his life back together. And then the father reminds him, everything I have is yours. Son, there's no need to envy the father's grace. The same grace that he gives to the prodigal son, he has given it to you as well. You have received his grace. And my friends, let us always remember we are recipients of the grace of God. There is no better gift that you can possibly receive than the grace of God. And yet sometimes it's the last thing we're willing to extend to others. Grace has been extended to you. Open the hand and extend it to others as well. There are three main characters in this story. There's a hurting parent. There's a wayward child. And then there's the good kid who always did the right thing. Let me ask you this question before I finish today. Which one do you relate with the most? Which one do you grab a hold of? To the hurting parent, let me encourage you, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up on that child. Don't quit praying. Don't quit watching. Don't, keep, don't ever give up. Sometimes kids will go through stages and phases where it seems like they're a long ways away from you and a long ways away from God. But don't quit pursuing them in love. Don't give up on them. And when your child returns, when you catch your child doing something good, choose grace over scorn. Embrace them. And celebrate the victories. Celebrate those victories. Some of us in the room, we relate to the wayward child gone a long way away from God. You may be listening online and that's where you find yourself. You say, hey, I'm, I'm a prodigal. And it's time to come to your senses, to go home, and to know that God's grace will meet you where you are and take you to where you should be. I believe Jesus told this story because he wanted you to know that no matter who you are, how long it's been, where you've gone, you can come home. He desires the lost sheep to return. And then finally, to the kid who's always tried to do the right thing, don't be envious of God's grace. You are who you are because of it. Celebrate it. And celebrate it in the lives of others. When we celebrate grace together, there's a unity that occurs and a bond that occurs 
because together we are worshiping the Lord of the universe who loves you with a love from which you will never be separated. You are safe in his hands, secure in his love. Receive his grace and extend it to others as well. Amen? Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? If today needs to be your day of salvation, I would encourage you to call out to God and ask Him to save you. You say, I don't know what to say, Lash. I don't know what to do. Just talk from your heart. You might say something like, Heavenly Father, I have sinned and I, I'm turning from that. I'm turning to a new way of living and I'm turning to you and I'm asking for your salvation. I'm asking for a new heart. I'm asking for Christ to come into my life and to change me. And I would invite you right now just to pray that prayer to God from the sincerity of your heart. And if this is the moment of your salvation, the first moment where you've taken that step, I want to invite you to tell somebody. Tell me. I'll be here at the front during this next song after the service. You can reach out to me uh, via email, pastor at murphychurch.com. Tell somebody in your life that you know walks with the Lord that on this day you made the decision to trust in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this parable that you have placed within your scripture. And Lord, it's so real to us because even though the story was told over 2,000 years ago, these challenges and family life and love, they still exist today. So I pray that you will help us to receive your truth. May it not simply be something that remains in our mind, but may it migrate to our heart and be seen in our lives. I pray for strong marriages. I pray for strong families. I pray for individuals that feel isolated from family, that you might bring them back together. I pray for those today who are grieving, that you might bring comfort to the heart. And Lord, may we together celebrate your grace, because it is an amazing gift, an amazing gift from heaven. Help us, Father, also to extend it to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.